Ephesians chapter 1. I've got a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to jump right into it. Now, we've been Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1 for several weeks. We'll actually be in here for a few more weeks. Uh, there's a lot to see in this first chapter. And verse 3 through verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 1 is actually one gigantic run-on sentence in the Greek. In your Bibles, as you read it in the translated version, there's sentences, there's periods, there's capitals of the new sentence, and all through, the, through verses 3 through 14. But if you read it in the Greek... It's just one run-on sentence, which is all, that's the Apostle Paul, if you've met him. He just, you know, has a train of thought that he takes through, and, and by the time he finishes his sentence, you're like, what did you just say? And, uh, and so this is one gigantic run-on sentence in the Greek, and what Paul is doing here in this run-on sentence is he's detailing the, the multitude of blessings that God has lavished upon us in Jesus Christ. The psalmist declared, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. That word manifold literally means multiple, multifaceted, or many-sided. And so the psalmist saying, Lord, how multiple, how, how multifaceted, how many-sided are thy works. In wisdom hast, hast thou made them all, the earth is full of thy riches. And indeed, God's blessings are multiple, uh, multifaceted, many-sided, and we've been looking Looking at these as we've been going through Ephesians chapter 1, just looking, breaking down the blessings of God. Last week we looked at the blessing of redemption. And when the Bible talks about redemption, as we talked about last Sunday, if you were here, we saw that there's three distinct aspects of redemption uh, that the Bible sort of lays out for us. The first aspect or the, the first way that God has, has redeemed us uh, is he's purchased us out of the market. The idea being that God has purchased us as an investment. 1 Corinthians 6.20 is an example of this where it says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so God has purchased us out of the market. He's taken us off the market. Uh, the second aspect of the redemptive blessing of God is that he's not just taken us out of the market, but he's purchased us for himself, not just in, as an investment, but as a cherished possession of his, personal possession. Uh, Galatians 3.13 uses the Greek word in that way. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law as a cherished possession of his, of his, of his own. And then the third way that, that the Lord has redeemed us, the Bible talks about that God has liberated us by a ransom. This involves paying a price to secure our freedom. And, and this is what, uh, what the Apostle Paul says here in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We looked at that last week, that, that word redemption there really uh, meaning that, you know, he has, he's ransomed us. And, and see, the, the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 6 and 2 Timothy chapter 2 and elsewhere that, that we were all at one time slaves to sin. And Jesus ransomed us by his blood, Paul says, according to the riches of his grace to set us free. J. Vernon McGee writes about a, um, 
slave trading auction that was taking place in the late 1850s. And, and as the story goes, there was a, a, a gal, a young, a young gal that was being auctioned. She was probably, you know, 15, 16 years old. And, uh, and a beautiful young, young girl and this evil, notoriously wicked slave owner began to bid on her. And everybody knew what was on his mind. They knew why he was bidding on this girl. And he was, he was going to pay, you know, uh, he was going to win this auction. And so no matter what anybody else bid, he bid higher. And everybody knew that, that he, he was going to have his way with this, with this young girl. And so finally, this, this rich benefactor saw what was going on and, and, and so disgusted by, by what this evil man was intending to do. Everybody knew it. Uh, that, that he began himself to bid for this little girl. Well, this, this was one of the richest men in town. Uh, it happened also to be one of the most benevolent men in town. And so as, as he's there now bidding against this evil man, this evil man knows he's not going to stop. And so finally, the, the evil man backs out, and, and the, the, the very wealthy benefactor wins uh, the, 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 the highest bid. And so there, the gavel drops down, and this, this young girl now becomes the, the property uh, of this, this wealthy benefactor. And at that, uh, he simply turns and begins to walk away. And this, this young girl, this young slave girl, she goes running after him, and she says, uh, Sir, sir, I'm, you, you bought me. I belong to you. And, and the man turned around, and he said to her, Young lady, I bought you to set you free. And she, at this point, just tears flowing from her eyes. She says to, to him, sir, I will serve you forever. And see, the dynamic of that story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a beautiful story, and the dynamic of that story is that the grace of that man changed the entire dynamic. See, because indeed, he had redeemed her, and, and he, he had, he'd paid a ransom for her. But he paid that ransom for her to set her free. And now she became a property of his. But because he bought her to set her free, well, she now wanted to serve him because of his love and because of, of, of his generosity. And that, <coughs> excuse me, that's the dynamic that happens to us as Christians when we fully understand that God has purchased us by his blood. He's redeemed us as his own property. But he's redeemed us to set us free. Well, this is what we're going to look at today because the grace of that man changed the entire dynamic. And this is the big idea of what Paul now dials into here in Ephesians chapter 1. He goes on to to cite the next blessing, and that is the blessing of grace. And that's the big idea of the message today as we look at uh, what Paul says there in verse 7. In him we have redemption ransom through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, and there it is, which he made to, uh, made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now that word grace, you might want to circle it. Nearby you could write this. You could write goodwill, loving kindness, or favor. Goodwill, loving kindness, or favor. While you're maybe making a note there, you could also jot down John 1.16. 
John 1.16 tells us this, For from his fullness we all received grace upon grace. From the fullness of God we have all received grace upon grace. Now, let me talk to you about God's grace. It's lavished upon the world in two different ways, two very distinct ways. Um, We have what's called common grace, and we have what's called special grace. Common grace is when God gives a measure of grace to everyone, believer and unbeliever alike. And, and so, you know, the, well, Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 45 talks about this. It says, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is common grace. The, the evil benefit from God's common grace, the, the righteous benefit from God's common grace. But then there's another dynamic. It's, it's called special grace. And, and God's special grace is, is that unique saving grace which is exclusively reserved for God's people. Common grace helps us in this life, but only special grace helps us in the life to come. Common grace is for all people, but special grace is exclusively for God's people. And so if you are in Christ, you are doubly blessed. You have, God has, has, has lavished his, his grace upon you, grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. When you are in Christ, this is you. He's lavished you with common grace, and he's lavished you with special grace. Now, with this in mind, I, I want you to remember how Paul began this. Just a few verses back, how did Paul begin this letter? Well, he talked uh, and addressed the saints who are in Ephesus and who are in Christ Jesus. And he said to them, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a a greeting that's very typical of the Apostle Paul. If you read through the epistles, uh, he says this quite often. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. Now, you'll notice that peace always follows grace. And that's not just because that's the way it works for Paul in his literary style, it means very practically that when you receive and are the recipients of the grace of God, the end result is that you will have peace. And see, Paul knew that the essential place of grace and peace from God in the life of the believer, that receiving God's grace comes before we can ever walk in peace with him. Let me say that again. Paul knew And understood that receiving God's grace comes before we can ever walk in peace with him. I'll illustrate that with a story. My father growing up was a strong disciplinarian. He didn't take no junk, man. I mean, my dad was was high and tight. Now, my dad was a very loving father. He knew the Lord, knows the Lord. And, you know, to this day, godly man, a man I, I highly respect. But I'll never forget one time when I was a kid, when, when I would do something wrong, and uh, I wasn't a bad kid, I was just Dennis the Menace. That was me, man. I was mischievous. I was a mischievous, you know, always just involved in something. I was busy. And uh, <laughs> stuff to do, man. So, uh, you know, uh, like, 
you know, I had to explore the, the sewers of our, of our city. My dad told me to stay out, but it was just too much of a temptation. And I had to go down there with all of my buddies. And we would climb into the sewers in the, in the sump. There was a, an area that was dug out. It was a drainage place that all the water was going to collect there. I grew up in the city of Torrance, which at one time was a big swamp. And so when they developed it, they dug these huge uh, pits where the water could drain into. And then they had a huge sewer opening. Well, I mean, it was huge. And that was where we would go in. And we knew the underground ways, man. We would go in here and we would go and we, this is where we turn right and this is where we would turn left. And pretty soon, I was right outside my house, man. It was, it was just the underground pathway to go to my house. And, and, you know, I thought it was fantastic. My dad thought it was foolish because, you know, you could die down there. I had no idea about confined spaces and about how gases can accumulate and you can, be, you can suffocate under there or water could run through. And I didn't know any about that. So anyway, that's just an example. I would go in and get, get myself in trouble. Well, one day I, I was in trouble and, and I knew that my dad knew. And you know that walk when dad knows and you're coming home and your dad's looking at you. And uh, I would just say me and my dad's belt were on a first name basis, you know. And, um, and so, you know, the idea here, what we're talking about is that, man, the, the receiving of God's grace comes before we can ever have a walk in peace with him. And, and knowing that I was in trouble, my dad said, Teddy, I'm going to take a walk with you. And I'm thinking, this walk is going to end in the belt. And it was not a walk of peace, you know. And so I'm just waiting for the other shoe to fall. And, you know, it's just going to be all about the crying now here in a minute. And my dad turned to me at, at, at an early point in the walk. And he said to me, I'm not going to spank you. Can I tell you that the rest of the walk was just a walk of peace? <laughs> right? But my dad had my undivided attention. Because, and and it, it just, it had the desired effect. Sometimes you got to throw your kids a curveball, you know, to get through to them. And so my dad in that day, and it was just a matter of saying, I'm not going to spank you, but I want to have a conversation with you. I'm like, man, this is a walk of peace, you know. And this is the big idea here that, that, that when we, man, are the recipients of God's grace, man, our walk with him becomes a walk of peace. And it's important, I want you to notice that Paul declares grace and peace to the saints who are in Christ, who are in Ephesus. See, as believers, we we live in two different locations. We live in Christ, but we also live in Temecula, right? And, and, And so if you've noticed, all your problems aren't in Christ, are they? Your problems are in Temecula, right? You say, I don't live in Temecula, I live in Murrieta. Okay, your problems are in Murrieta. You're in Christ and you're in Murrieta. Well, you know, that's where all your problems are. See, those two addresses that we have, man, in Christ, in Temecula, well, man, the problems come from there. And, you know, the Bible says 18 times in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, in First and Second Corinthians, in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, in First and Second Thessalonians, in First and Second Timothy, in Titus, in Philemon, in First and Second Peter, in Second John, and in the book of Revelation, and several times in many of those books, the Bible declares emphatically that in Jesus Christ, we have grace and the result is peace. Over and over again, God reminds you, if you're in Christ, you have his grace, and the result is peace. Max Lucado wrote a book. The title of the book was, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior. 
And in that book, if you've read it, and, and I've referred to it before, so maybe this will be familiar to you, but he tells this beautiful story. And there's this, this gal that lived in a small village uh, in Brazil, and she ran away. And, uh, and her, her mom knew that she was in trouble because she ran away to the big city. She's this young teenage girl, and uh, she, she, was, she was attractive, and her mom knew what happened to young teenage girls who ran away to the big city, uh, uh, especially young, attractive teenage girls, that, that they would wind up in places uh, that weren't good. And, and she knew her daughter, man. Her daughter was stubborn. Her, star, her daughter was proud. And, you know, when pride meets hunger, uh, desperation results, and desperate people do desperate things. And so, you know, this mom, wanting to go and get to her daughter, she, she basically took everything she could possibly take. She didn't have a lot of means, but she got as much money as she could together. And she had only enough money to buy a bus ticket for herself and to buy some pictures of herself that she took at one of those photo booths that you go to, this mom taking pictures of herself. And what she, this mom did is she posted them in every bar, in every brothel, in every seedy hotel, all of the places that she knew that a desperate girl would, would unfortunately wind up in, and this is what the mom did. And so she placed these pictures of herself around, knowing that if her daughter saw her face, that that would be what would, what would get her attention. And sure enough, Christina, her daughter, dirty and ashamed, found a picture of her mom. And when she turned the picture over on the back, the mom had written, because she'd written this on all the pictures that she posted, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, I forgive you, please come home. And Christina did. And can I tell you that having received her mom's grace, she entered into a place of peace, something she hadn't had for, for quite a while. She'd ran away. She'd, she'd, she'd abandoned her home. She'd, she'd struck out on her own, and she found pain, and she found guilt, and she found remorse, and she found shame. And then she found the grace of her mother come home, and she entered into peace, something she hadn't had for a long time. Some of you, I, I wonder today, do you have peace? Because you can. In, in Christ Jesus, you can have peace. And I want you to notice in verse 8 that Paul says that God makes this grace abound towards us. You see that? He says, he says there, which he has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That word abound, it's a very important word. Uh, in the Greek, it's, it's perisuo. Um, and, uh, and literally it means to exceed and to overflow. He's made his grace exceed and overflow to us. Now, this is the same word, this perisuo. It's the same word that Matthew uses in his gospel when he tells of the, the miraculous story of the loaves and the fishes. And, and the idea there where he says is that God supplied so much miraculously, that there were overflowing baskets of his blessings left over. And this is the picture here for us, is that his grace to us is overflowing, just as God's provision of food to those in the Gospel of Matthew was overflowing. There was more than enough. 
Now, I also want you to notice as you consider that, that in verse 7, he says that God's grace abounds toward us according to the riches of his grace. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, that's important. I don't want to lose you. Stay with me. According to the riches of his grace. Let me illustrate the distinction there. Because he, 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 he says it's according to the riches of his grace. It's not out of the riches of his grace. And there's an ocean of difference between the two. Um, to illustrate that idea, um, John D. Rockefeller, he, he lived at the turn of the century. And he was the, the president of Standard Oil. And he was worth a boatload of money. This man, this was, be, be, you know, before the, the, the government had established monopolies, that you can't have a monopoly. Well, this guy had a monopoly, and his net worth was over $340 billion at the turn of the century. This guy was rich beyond measure. And he would go golfing frequently. And when he would go golfing, this guy, I'm, I don't know, how many of you guys golf? Just a few, okay, several of you, all right. Now, I'm not big on golfing. I, I think it's been like three years since I've golfed. But the last time I went golfing, it was like 160 bucks for a green fee. I'm like, are you kidding? I, I think of all the stuff I could do with 160 bucks. I, I just don't love golfing that much. I ain't going to pay it. Some of y'all, you pay it like, you, know, you gladly pay out. Your, you, you just love that. Now, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, you know, cool. You found something you love. I don't love golfing that much. But this guy, he'd go golfing. He could afford to pay the greens fee no matter what it was. He could afford to pay everybody on the course's greens fee. He could buy the greens. He could buy the golf course like and think nothing of it. When he would go golfing, this guy would, would tip his caddy. He was notorious for this. He would tip his caddy after the game 10 cents. 10 cents. Can you imagine? You got a caddy for, for, for John Rockefeller. Swell. Now, Granted, it was the turn of the century, and 10 cents was worth a lot more then, but not much. It was still a very low amount. Now, here's the thing. He gave out of his riches. He didn't give according to his riches. Now, another illustration, modern-day illustration. Taylor Swift, she, she was back in, I don't know, June or July, whatever it was. She was nominated for, for a video music award. She was feeling good. She just had a concert, and she was taking several of the bands that were with her, some of the members of the bands that were touring with her. They, they had gone to, they had their venue, their show. After their show, they decided they were going to go get some Italian food. And um, I think they were in the city of Boston or something. Anyway, they went out. And this restaurant stayed open for them. And now their, their bill for their party was like 800 bucks. She tipped 500 bucks on an $800 bill. And that's like, what is it, 63%, 64%, whatever. She gave according to her riches. Do you see the difference? One gave out of his riches, but the other gave according to her riches because she was wealthy. Here, I'll, I'll give you just as much as, as the check was worth. Now, there's an ocean of difference between the two. Now, here's why that's important to you. This is, this is really important. Have you ever sinned in such a way that it shook you, that it shocked you, that it, that it shamed you, that you felt so unworthy of God's love that you felt so ashamed. I know you have. Absolutely you have. 
We all have. The Bible says no temptation has seized you except for that which is common to man. Now, now when, when the Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the, 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 the big idea of that verse is to say, hey, God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted except he'll give you a way of escape. And, and the, the urging and the prompting is take the way of escape. Don't, don't fall to the temptation. But the problem is because we are sinners by nature, oftentimes we don't take the way of escape. And we fall to the temptation. And when you fall to that temptation, it gets to a place where sin is pleasurable for a season. But the season's always too short. And what happens is, is on this side of it, temptation, sin, that side of it, guilt and shame. And, and, and so if you've ever been in that place where, where you have sinned in, in, in such a way that you are shocked by what you've done. You're, you're ashamed by what you've done. Some of you here this morning, I know by the Holy Spirit of God, you're in that place right now and I've got your undivided attention. Because you say, that's me, I'm, I'm ashamed. This is why the blessing of God's grace is so huge and why you gotta understand it. Because God's grace is so huge, so big, that it, it covers all over all of that guilt and shame. See, because we, we never need to worry that our sin will outstrip God's gracious forgiveness. Paul talks about this in the, in the book of Romans. And, and now he goes on to say that it's not a license to sin, so don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But what Paul is saying is God can forgive everything. We'll put the, the scripture on the screen for you, Romans 5, 20 and 21. Paul says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded... Grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I love how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John MacArthur talking about this, he said this, and I love this quote so much I want to put it on the screen for you. He says, our heavenly father does not simply give us substance forgiveness, that we barely cover our sins if we're careful not to overdo. Substance, God help me. Subsistence, Right? Here's why that's important, because the, most of us live that way in our finances, right? You get, to, you get to the end of your paycheck, and there's more month than money, right? And so what happens is you've got this, this, this meager sustenance there that you've got that you can, you can just ink by. It's like, man, you got to like count every penny, and if I don't know if I'm going to have enough, this is the idea he's talking about. And he says, that's not the kind of substance that God gives us. He doesn't give us that kind of forgiveness, something that'll barely cover our sins if we're careful not to overdo. He says, we cannot sin beyond God's grace because as wicked and extensive as our sins might be or become, 
come, they will never approach the greatness of his grace. His forgiveness is infinite, and he lavishes out without measure upon those who trust in his son. We, therefore, not only can enjoy future glory with God, but present fellowship with him as well. If you were here for our Christmas Eve service, and we looked at Zacchaeus, I talked about him in, in, in Luke 19, and we, you know, if you've been going to church for any length of time, you know the story of Zacchaeus. Here's this guy, a tax collector, wealthy, he was the chief tax collector, tax collectors rip everybody off, he didn't have a friend in the world because he was just ruthlessly, you know, just a ripoff. Ripped everybody off. Now, he got to a place where he amassed a fortune. He's arguably the wealthiest man in town. What happens when God gives you everything you want is that you come to the realization that stuff doesn't satisfy. And so Zacchaeus got to the place where, you know, yeah, rich, wealthy, but, you know, God has written his law on the tablets of everybody's heart. And so what that means is that you know when you've sinned. And so, knowing when we've sinned, it brings guilt, it brings shame, it brings you to a place where, you know, you you are mindfully aware of what you have done. Zacchaeus being in this place, he's, he's painfully aware that he has alienated himself from God. So when he hears Jesus Christ is coming to town, he's going to look for him, and he ends up climbing a tree and, and, and all. He does whatever it takes to find the Lord. And Jesus Christ discerning his heart, discerning that he's in the place where, man, I, I have a, am a blow it. I'm seeking after God. You're my only hope. Jesus invites him, come on down out of the tree. I'm going I'm to have dinner with you. And everybody freaked out. But Zacchaeus responded, hey, listen, if I've, if I've ripped anybody off, I'm going to restore full forward, full, fourfold, beyond whatever, beyond, well beyond what the law required. And what, what you see demonstrated by the words of his mouth and by his response to the Lord Jesus is a heart of repentance that just says, like this slave girl, when she comes face to face with just the benevolent love of somebody who would purchase her just to set her free, her response being, sir, I will serve you the rest of my life. Why, out of compulsion? No, out of response to, you are good. And this was Zacchaeus' response. God, you are good. And it changes when we, when we understand grace. It changes the whole dynamic to where we say, God, you are good. And, and I can trust you with my life. And I want to trust you with my life. You see, in John chapter 10, Jesus Christ describes Satan uh, as a thief. And, and one of the big ways that Satan steals from us is that he takes this, this opportunity that we have to have fellowship with God and he rips it off. See, again, if, if you just put that John MacArthur quote back up real quick. He, he says there uh, in the last sentence, we therefore can not only enjoy future glory with God because of God's grace, but present fellowship with him as well. And what happens that Satan does to us is he rips us off. Because not only does he tempt us to sin, but then he condemns us for that. And he says, you can't go to God now because of your, your guilt, because of your shame. And he piles on and he rips us off and we're robbed of having that present fellowship with God. And some of you here today, you feel dirty and distant from God. And you need to hear that God is a God of grace. 
It's not a license to sin, but it is the truth of God's word, that he loves you, and that there's nothing that you can do. The Bible says there's nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Height, depth, death, nothing can separate you from God's love. He loves you. And his death on the cross, his blood that was shed, it's more than enough to set you free. See, God isn't asking you to give to him. And you need to hear this because this is what separates Christianity and makes Christianity different from every other religion. Every other religion says you have to do good, you have to try harder, and you have to give something to God. But the Bible tells us that God isn't asking you to give to him. He's asking you to receive him, and he gives you himself in return. He gives you himself as a gift. That's the grace of God. And what happens then is he takes up life in you, he changes you, and then his grace starts to come through you so that his grace might work through you to others. It's an amazing thing. Now, building on that thought, we go to the next blessing, and they're, 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 they're linked. And the next blessing that Paul touches on is the blessing of wisdom and prudence. Again, you'll see there, he says, in him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, verse 8, which he made to abound toward us in, and here it is, all wisdom and prudence. Now, that word wisdom, if you're, if you're given to taking notes, you could, you could circle it nearby, you could write Sophia, that's, that's the word wisdom, kind of a cool name uh, for a gal. I, I like the word Sophia now. Uh, wisdom, it, and it literally means knowledge that is broad uh, and full of intelligence. Knowledge that's broad and full of intelligence. And, and so basically what this kind of wisdom is, it, it, it emphasizes the understanding of ultimate things. And so this kind of wisdom is you know, where you have knowledge that's broad and full of intelligence in regards to life and death and God and man and righteousness and sin and heaven and hell and eternity and time. You, you, you glean this type uh, of wisdom that's given to us by God through grace. And, and, you know, it's some people you meet in this world are wise and some are fools, Right, And there are those people that you meet and you talk to them about their life's philosophy and they're, and they're wise. They have encountered God. They clearly have the wisdom of God and they speak and you hear a wisdom that comes from them to where you say, wow, this, this person's wise. There are other people that are fools. They don't have a clue. They can't buy a vowel. And you have a conversation with them about life and, and, and all and they begin to spout off. It's kind of like... You know, on uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and he has this segment where he does jaywalking, and he asks people these questions, and you just hear the foolishness that comes out of some people's mouths, and, and it's painful sometimes just to, to think, you can put your shoes on. You, you, you are, you're, you're a voter. That scares me, you know? And, and there are those that, that are just fools in this world. And what, what, what Paul is saying here is that God blesses us And by his grace, not only do we have forgiveness, but we have wisdom that he gives to us that can discern the issues, the the, the huge issues of life and death, God and man, etc. And he says, not only that, but he says, he's made to abound to us 
with all wisdom and prudence. That word prudence, uh, it, it, it's the Greek word phronesis. It literally means knowledge and holy love of the will of God. That you can have knowledge of the will of God and a holy love for the will of God. Now, again, the emphasis here is, is practical understanding and handling of daily matters. This is important. God, by his grace, gives you the capacity as a Christian to have practical understanding and, and be able to handle daily matters. So this is how to respond to needs, how to respond to problems, how to handle daily affairs. In, in short, how to live out your faith, how to put feet on your faith. God promises to give you the wisdom and the prudence to do that by his grace through faith. It's, it's, it's the grace of God that allows you to have that and to do that. Again, God not only forgives us, taking away sin that corrupts and distorts our life, but he goes on to give us the capacity to understand him and to walk in a way that's pleasing to him. James says this in, in James chapter 1. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Listen, you can, you can come to God and you can ask him to give you wisdom, and he promises that he will. How incredible is that? I mean, seriously, I just, I'll ask for a show of hands. How many of you guys struggling with something, past, present, or future, where you're like, I really need some wisdom here? Let me see a show of hands. Everybody's like, yeah, that's me. How often, be honest, how often do we pray and say, Lord, give me wisdom? There's a difference there, isn't there? Can I tell you why there's a difference? This idea of subsistence forgiveness that, that John MacArthur makes, that, that you have, you know, we, we go through life and we think God's just given us enough Forgiveness, just a, a subsistence per forgiveness, it's just enough to, to, to get us through. I, I, I got to be on a really tight budget. It's kind of like when I was in the Philippines and I was getting ready uh, to do a big outreach and I was going up to every store I could find to buy all their candy because I was going to give it to all the kids. Well, and one of the particular stores, there's this kid in front of me and he's waiting in line to buy a single piece of candy. And he's going through his money to see if he has enough money to buy a single piece of candy. And he didn't have enough money to buy a single piece of candy. And he's dejected. And, and that's a picture of so many times a lot of the way that we go through life where, you know, as it pertains to God's forgiveness, we're thinking, oh, have I, it, it, is my life clean enough for God to forgive me? And, and, it's, and it's sort of this idea of this subsistence kind of mentality when it comes to, to God's grace. He's, he's going to give it to me, but only a little bit. I better, better stay within the lines. I can't get too radical here. I can't have too much sin, or I'm not going to have enough of God's grace. And this kid buying this candy, oh, man, I don't, have a, I don't have quite enough to get that piece of candy. And I'm sitting behind that kid going, dude, you don't even have a clue that in five minutes you're going to have more candy than your pocket's going to hold. Because I'm going to, I'm going to buy all the candy in the store to give it to you. Well, that same idea, about that's God's grace. That's how, how he wants to approach us in terms of forgiving. Well, we take that same mindset, that scarcity mindset, that it's man that's just a little bit, and, and we, we apply it as well to come into the Lord for wisdom. We sort of have this idea from God that, you know what? 
God helps those that help themselves. You know that's not in the Bible. People quote that like it's a scripture. The Bible says that nowhere. 66 books in your Bible. Read every word. Do. Read every word. And you tell me if it's in there. It ain't there. The idea is not even there. God helps those that help themselves. Yes, the Bible has a lot to say about not being a sluggard, not being lazy. You know, you have to do stuff. <clears throat> but when it refers to God's grace, no, he lavishes his grace on you. And all of us are that kid at the Philippines. All of us are at that line going, you know, oh my gosh, do I have enough? And we need to realize God's standing behind us going, I got more money in my pocket than you'll ever see in your entire life. And I got you covered. See, my grace is there. And so that applies not only to this issue of forgiveness, but it applies, what's that got to do with wisdom and prudence? God's the same way. He wants to pour out upon you, give you all that you need. He's got for you. He just wants you to seek him. Paul said this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, now we have received, we have received. That's not past tense, that's present tense. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. For, he goes on to say, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Take a walk with that. We have the mind of Christ. It's there. James says this, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Listen, when God takes away your sin, he lavishes you with his grace. If you are in Christ, you have grace for forgiveness. You have grace for wisdom and insight. God is, is there to give it to you all. And so often as Christians, we go through this, this, this mindset, we go through this life with this attitude of I'm, I'm poor, I, 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 don't, have, I don't have much, I, and, I, and I gotta be really careful about what I ask God for in terms of, hey, you know, I can't, he's, why can't, why shouldn't, I should be able to figure this out myself. I should be able to, to be, fix this myself. God's not gonna answer this prayer request because, because, man, this is, he wants me to do it. No. God's lavished you with grace. His forgiveness is overwhelming and his, and his knowledge to you, his wisdom available to you, his, the, the, the prudent uh, ability to walk in a way that pleases him, all of that he wants to give you. God is the initiator and we're the responder. Everything we have comes from God. The Bible says he's the father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. And, and it proceeds by saying every good and every perfect gift comes from God the Father, God above, the Father of lights, in whom there's no shadow of turning, not even a hint that he'll turn away from you. I want to close with, with, with this. Jesus said in, in, this in Matthew's gospel. He said, come to me, 
All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Years ago, um, we were on vacation. We took our motorhome, and I, I had taken my motorhome. I thought I was being, you know, I always have these motorhome stories. Just don't buy a motorhome. They're just, you know what RV stands for? Ruins vacation. That's what it stands for. So I took my motor home and we went on vacation and I had taken it to the mechanic to get all the new belts put on it and, and everything. Well, we always had the same routine. We wanted to, to drive and, you know, when we're heading up, uh, up north, up the coast, uh, we would leave, you know, at night after all the nighttime traffic. We, we'd drive and we'd get to, to Visalia and we'd park in the, the Walmart there in the parking lot and sleep overnight. And that way we'd beat all the L.A. traffic and get past it all for the next morning when we would get the start. So we would leave you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night, miss everything, sleep in Visalia, and then be on our way. And, uh, and so we're there in the Walmart parking lot, and we get up the next morning, okay, let's go. I go to start the thing, and, and the engine turns over, and all of a sudden there's this horrible noise, and then the check engine light comes on, and the, the engine's not there. And, not working. I'm not a mechanic at all, not even close. So I'm stuck. I, I don't know what to do. That we're in trouble here. But <clears throat> as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, so I got my, my whole family here, and we're broken down. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know how to fix it. But guess what? I've got a relationship with AAA. <laughs> and so you know what I had to do? <clears throat> I just called AAA. And, and they sent out a guy who, who, well, he had a yoke, right? Tow truck. And he yoked my rig to his rig. And, and then he took me to a place. I didn't know where, where we were going to go. I didn't have a clue who was going to fix it. I didn't know what was wrong. I was going to get fixed. He's like, look, yoke to me. I'll take you to a good place. This guy knows what he's doing. He won't rip you off. He took me there. He knew what was wrong with the, with the RV. He was able to fix it. And before you know it, we're back on track. Our vacation's back on track. Here's the point. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. And, and, and all we have to do is realize that there's, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And this is the big takeaway for you today. I want you to be in the place where you trust in the Lord and say, no, God's not waiting up there going, you know what, you've done too many wrong things. I'm not going to receive you to myself. God's not up there with the same mentality going, don't ask me for something you can figure out for yourself. No, God is saying, my grace is lavished out upon you, and I want to give you according to my riches, not out of my riches. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. All wisdom comes from me. Just come. Just come.